Get out your bulletin if you have one, or open a Bible to Psalm 18, verse 6. This is a theme verse that we've had during this summertime series that we're doing on being desperate for God. And I wanted us to read or cite Psalm 18, verse 6 together. Um, So if you have that, let me read it first. That'll give you a second to find it. And then let's read it or say it from memory if you've memorized it together. Psalm 18, 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him even to his ears. That's the psalmist writing. That's true of us as well if we cry out to him in our distress. Let's read that together. Psalm 18, verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple. And my cry came before him, even to his ears. When you walk in desperation or whatever is going on in your life, and you cry out to the Lord, if you believe that God hears, would you just raise your hand just as a testimony of God? Thank you for your hearing ear to me. Amen. That's exactly what he does. And this morning we're going to look at a message uh, along that line as well and add another spiritual tool to our arsenal. Open your Bible to Luke chapter 1, familiar passage, not the familiar time, it's part of the Christmas story. And let me start by saying this, first I ask the Lord's permission, and then I ask the parents' permission, and they asked the daughter's permission. This is an illustration. This is an illustration. What is this? It's an illustration. You get it. Emma, come on up here. This is Emma. We have grown to know her and love her. She has a sweet spirit. She has a sweet heart. Is that fair? (laughs) He's not here this morning, so he didn't see that shrugged shoulder. (laughs) Um, She has a sweet heart as well, and she has a devotion and a desire to... Um, grow in the Lord. I want to liken Emma to Mary, Jesus's mother, because Mary had all of those things as well, only her sweetheart was her um, husband-to-be. Emma has all of that going for her, but today I want to tell you that Emma is pregnant. Much like Mary, Emma, uh, Mary also was pregnant. And Emma would have to tell her family, and she would, um, the people within her church would find out as well, as with Mary, who would have to tell her family. The people in her synagogue would have to, would come to realization with that. The people in her society, (laughs) the people in her society would know as well. And Emma's society is different. We live in liberal America. We don't live in conservative America anymore. We don't live in Christian America. We live in liberal America. And that would be just another day for most, okay? But for Mary, she lived in an extremely conservative society. And it would have been extremely difficult. And I asked Emma if she would stand up here before us today 
because I wanted you to be able to understand and wear just a little bit about what Mary would have gone through. And with a young lady, 16 years old, Mary was 15, 16, somewhere in that neighborhood, I thought that we could understand that just a little bit more because it puts a person before us. It puts Emma before us. Thank you very much. It was a what? Illustration. Illustration. All right. I asked the Lord. I asked Mom and Dad. They talked with Emma. So We are in Luke chapter 1. Let's use Mary as a biblical example of an incredible young woman whose mind and heart was focused on God. Mary's mind and heart was focused on God like, like many others in Scripture, but just an incredible example. Mary shows us a huge spiritual discipline that's needed when we're in a desperate situation for God. Mary was included in this portion of God's redemptive story without invitation. Gabriel didn't go and say to Mary, hey, what do you think? Do you mind if we do this? God didn't send her an email or a text and say, are you willing? Um, God just did this, and Mary was part of the story. In just an illustration, I prayed and asked the Lord. I called and talked with Mom. They talked with the dot. So I went to great lengths to be able to put somebody before us so we could own a little bit more of Mary's story, because usually when we read these portions, we stand amazed, but then our focus goes instantly to Jesus because it's God invading our earth, all right? Let's look in Luke chapter 1, and I want to read from here different times that we encounter Mary in the Gospels. I'm in Luke chapter 1. We're going to review the story of the birth of our Lord, paying specific attention, special attention to Mary's role. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. When a conversation starts with the words, do not be afraid, you probably get a little jittery. It's kind of like the phone call that you hear when somebody said, one of your kids said, or, or a spouse, when somebody says, I want you to know first that everybody's okay. And your ears just perk up, all right? Well, the angel started with, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? How in the world could what you're saying happen because I've never known a man. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. I want to read that again. Nothing is impossible with God. And I know we know that intellectually, but I want us to understand that God is still God. He's the one who spoke the world into existence. He's the one who planned to send his son to be the perfect sacrifice for sin. He's the one who gives us his Holy Spirit. He's the one who's given us his life-changing word. And today, it's still true that nothing is impossible with God. And if your go-to when you hear the phrase, nothing is impossible with God, if your go-to is, yeah, but this and this and this and this, and you don't step into uh, entertaining this incredible thought that nothing is impossible with God, you really need to consider nothing is impossible with God. Mary and her being pregnant by the Holy Spirit wasn't impossible. That God would speak the world into existence wasn't impossible. That God's grace could reach Jerry Tharp wasn't impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. And so in the midst of the impossibilities that you think might exist, remember nothing is impossible with God. It's a big deal. It's not the message, but it's a big deal. Mary's response was this in verse 38. So she has this conversation with the angel and Mary said behold I am the servant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her Mary said behold I am the servant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her this is one conversation there isn't any preparation time No time to think about what my response might be. This is her quick reactionary response. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Verse 39 says, In those days Mary arose, went went in haste into the hill country to the town of Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Where'd she hear that? And behold, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then Mary wrote a song, it's called the Magnificent, And this is what it says in verse 46. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is the heartbeat of this young woman. Very young. 15 years old. 16 years old. Like Emma's age. This is her heartbeat. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. And we still do. Mary is a blessed woman of the Lord. All generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him. His mercy is for those who fear him. You have to connect mercy and those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of a humble estate. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has uh, sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Well, the baby was born. We know the story. We celebrate it and relive it every Christmas. The baby was born, and the shepherds came. In verse 16 of, I'm assuming, chapter 2. I didn't write that down. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She didn't just hear them and say, isn't that you? She treasured them up, all of those things, pondering them in her heart. She'd had a conversation with Gabriel. She'd been in her cousin's house for quite a while and heard the conversation there. She'd been nine months pregnant. Now she's having this baby and somebody's coming and worshiping him. She's treasuring all these things in her heart. It's who she was. When Mary and Joseph presented Jesus in the temple, Simeon blessed the Lord. And it says in verse 33, his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul. And I'm assuming that happened at a time, when we're going to read this verse in a minute, when she saw her son, God in the flesh, hanging on a cross, pierced with nails and bleeding. Because of Herod's desire to kill the baby, They had to flee to Egypt until he died. You can find that in Matthew chapter 2 if you want to look. That's a different kind of trauma. A road trip with a 15, 16-year-old girl having to flee her hometown, pregnant, on a donkey. Not talking Uber, anything like that here. Once Herod died, they returned to Israel, but not their hometown because Herod's son lived there. So in a dream, Joseph was told to uh, to take Mary and the child to Nazareth. Verse 22 of Matthew chapter 2 says, But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, Herod has died now, in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. He went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that, so that uh, what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Again, a different kind of challenge. Not able to be around those she loved, not able to be from her hometown. As he hung on the cross, fast-forwarding, after the soldiers cast lots for his garments, John wrote, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own home. Mary never, 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 never teetered on, am I not going to serve the Lord or whining? We don't see any of that in the story. She's seen her son hang on a cross. After, in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus had ascended, when they entered 
Uh, verse 13, when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these were with one accord. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the woman, Mary, the mother of Jesus and the brothers. Constantly devoted to the Lord. Her son has died devoted to the Lord. He's ascended, devoted to the Lord. She's with all of those who were Jesus' disciples, just praying for God's will to be done. This, this woman is just incredible. And I thought it would help us to see somebody her age up here maybe grasp a little bit of some of the trauma that she would have gone through, both emotionally as well as socially, as well as everything that would happen to her. Intense emotion and loss. And Mary kept God-focused in the midst of all of it. And I'd like to suggest, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning, I'd like to suggest the spiritual discipline, a weapon, if you will, that enabled Mary's stellar spiritual response of submission and confidence in the Lord and peace in the midst of very unique situation was that she had her mind stayed on the Lord. She had her mind fixed on the Lord. All of the things around happened, but she was focused on God, who is the potter, and she recognized that she's the clay. She, she recognized that he is the master and that she was the servant. She was fixed. She was focused on. She was stayed on the Lord. In desperation for God, we have considered some spiritual tools and weapons that hopefully we have or will be reminded of that are in our toolbox during our hour of need. Hannah, if you remember, cried out to God. That was Samuel's mother, and she cried out to the Lord. Esther and Mordecai taught us and reminded us about fasting before the Lord as well. Simply learning to listen to Jesus' commands on our life, we could, we could discern from the demon-possessed man or the adulterous woman also. Being committed to God even when the cost is high. We learned that from Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Spiritual tools that can help us during our hour of desperation. Today we're going to look at the spiritual tool, the weapon of a mind and a heart that is stayed on, that is fixed on God. It isn't my circumstances. It isn't my convenience. It isn't even my testimony among other people because Mary would lose that at least for a space of time. But I'm going to keep my mind fixed and focused and stayed on the Lord because he's the potter and I'm the clay. We're going to do one more of these messages, and that's going to be next week. And I'm saying this to encourage you to do something. We're going to look at Jacob and him wrestling with the Lord all night long. And I want to encourage you and invite you to read Genesis chapter 32 in preparation of that. Genesis chapter 32. And then if you want, read a little bit before and a little bit after to see what was going on before as well as what was going on afterwards the night that he wrestled with the Lord. A mind fixed on and stayed on the Lord. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says this. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, verse 4 says, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. Let me read that again. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. 
Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. What it does not say is you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because they're going to be free of all difficulties and challenges and dilemmas in life. It doesn't say that. We don't read that of any biblical character. They had life, and it happened to them, and the difficulties were there. But God keeps in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. And notice what kind of peace it is. It's perfect peace. It's complete peace. It is I'm living above my circumstances kind of peace. God will keep those in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Complete, sound peace. Everyone, everyone wants the peace of God, don't we? If I said, say amen if you want the peace of God and you were willing to speak, everyone in here would say amen. Raise your hand if you want the peace of God. Every one of us would raise our hand and say, we want the peace of God. But he says that it's connected to our mind and our heart being focused and stayed on the Lord. I don't get the peace that passes understanding unless my heart and my mind is fixed on, focused on, stayed on the Lord. I want it, but I don't get it. It's a conditional thing. You do this, keep your mind focused and stayed and fixed on me, and I'm going to give you a peace that passes understanding no matter what your circumstance is. And you're going to be able to say like Mary said, I'm a servant of the Lord. Lord, whatever it is that you want, however it is that you want to use me, you're the potter, I'm the clay. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. It's connected to keeping your mind stayed on the Lord. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 comes to mind. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Not without it but with it. With prayer, supplication and thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. That's having our mind fixed on him. And the peace of God, which passes, surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that requires focus, doesn't it? And my mind is fixed on, it's focused on the Lord. And when I have that, I get the peace of God that passes all understanding in all of the circumstances that I have. Say, so, well, I've walked through some tough circumstances, and I didn't have the peace of God. So don't question the peace of God. Question whether you were fixed and focused and stayed on the Lord in the midst of that. And when we get there, he grants us the peace of God that passes understanding, even in the extremely tough and difficult situations. Like Mary would be an example. I'm going to give a few other examples in a minute. On peace, Galatians 6 says this, As many as walk according to this rule, that's a big deal, as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the God of Israel. Well, that makes us wonder what is according to this rule. What's the rule? Verse 14 says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's the rule. I've been crucified to the world the world has been crucified to me. My focus, my drive, my intent, my, my, everything that I am now is about God and the person of Jesus Christ. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, the need of the hour there avails nothing but a new creation. As many as walk according to this rule, that's who have peace and mercy upon them. 
Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, very well-known scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. How many times are we exhorted to trust in the Lord in scripture? Over and over and over. You know what? I don't need to be exhorted to trust in the Lord unless something's going on that's causing me to wonder whether I should trust in the Lord. If it's, if it's a difficult day, that's when I need to hear trust in the Lord. When it's just life as normal, it's not that hard to trust. But we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. Lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Other scriptures that exhort us to keep our mind and our heart focused on God. You remember Joshua uh, hearing this word. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. This guy was a king. He had other responsibilities also. It's possible for you to work your job and do your profession and raise your family and love your wife and do what you're supposed to do and still meditate on the Lord day and night. It's possible. It requires discipline. It requires rolling up my spiritual sleeves, if you will, and working, but that's possible. Colossians 3 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Psalm 119, verse 15, I meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your way. Do you remember what Jesus said in the, in the desert when he was tempted? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If I believed that man shall not live by, every, by, by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, you know what? I would be just as concerned with, or more, cons- more concerned actually, more concerned with consuming the word of God than I am the very food that I eat day in and day out, three times a day with snacks in between. Other biblical examples of individuals who excelled in having their minds and hearts focused on God I wrote a text message to a few people. Sometimes I send it out to quite a few. This time it was just a few. And these are some of the examples that came my way. This one came from Mexico from Michael Buznitz, a missionary that we support. He said, Ezekiel, God required, these are Michael's words, God required some strange things from this guy. Shave his head. That's nothing strange for some of you. Shave his head. Lay on one side for a significant amount of time. Then turn over and lay on the other side. Times of absolute silence. Eating food cooked over dung. Not allowed to mourn his wife's death. But he followed God. And Michael noted, he had seen a vision of God and would not be dissuaded from obedience and submission to God to the one who was on his throne. So his heart and his mind, Ezekiel's, was fixed on God in the midst of all of the strange things that God required of him. And again, he didn't invite him to vote on whether he was supposed to do them or not. Joseph was one, but as for you, you know the story of Joseph. His brother sold him. God raised him up to prominence through some very difficult situations throughout his life. As for you, speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. 
Daniel would be another example of someone who had a mind that was focused and fixed on the Lord, taken into another country, away from his people, changed his name, made him eat unique things. He was 15 years old, about the same age of Emma as well, but he had a mind that was just razor sharp, razor focused on the Lord. In the midst of all of the other duties that he had to do, and we have other duties, it was, I do these duties with this razor sharp, focused mind on the Lord. Job said, the Lord gave, the Lord takes away. And then he said, what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Noah mocked and made fun of, but he followed God after working on an ark for 130 years in a group that didn't understand that and mocked him. Paul was another individual who had a mind and a heart that was focused on the Lord after his conversion. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry... We have received mercy. We do not lose heart. This guy had every reason to lose heart because of the things that he'd gone through. He had been through a tremendous amount of difficulty, and then he delineates some of that. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power uh, may be of God and not of us. We're hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body of the di- always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be, may be manifested in our body. And in the middle of all in the middle of all the difficult things he went through, rather than wonder, God, are you sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing? Because life isn't going real easy here. He was razor sharp focused on the Lord, just like Mary was. Never shows her. Trembling or, or moving uh, in her devotion to the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 11, just listen to these. There were some false prophets, and then Paul was forced into defending himself. Listen to what it says. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? Well, they weren't, and that's why he says, I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes because he was beaten above measure in prison more frequently in deaths often from the jews five times i received 40 40 stripes minus one three times i was beaten with rods once i was stoned three times i was shipwrecked a night and a day i've been in the drink in journeys often in perils of water in perils of robbers in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city. Wait a minute, I thought living and following Jesus meant that we had a peaceful life. Who told us that? Perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, perils of the Gentiles, perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. And besides other things, what comes to me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. When I'm desperate, a tool, a weapon to pull out is a razor-sharp, focused, stayed mind on the Lord. And it goes much, much better if I step into my desperation already having that focus. If I'm already focused on the Lord, then that desperation begins to become in its place. Not insignificant, but it's placed in its place. Mary had that, as did others. I wanted to finish by listing about eight or ten how-tos to have a mind stayed on God. 
Write them down if you want. We can put them wherever you want. How to have a mind that stayed on God. Let me read the very end before I get to these. You might recognize or realize that you don't have a mind that's focused or stayed on the Lord. Just hearing these things, you might say, you know, that's great. Mary had that. Paul had that. Ezekiel. I don't have that. It would be appropriate, I would think, that you would ask the Lord to give me that. Help me recognize where I am, because I know a desperate hour is coming. Help me recognize where I am so that I can have that focused, stayed mind on you. How-tos. Meditating on God's Word. Thinking about it. Create the disciplines necessary to do it. Memorize it and meditate on it. Don't just memorize it. It's possible to memorize something and not meditate on it. I have not meditated on any of your names, and yet I know the vast majority of your names. So I can know something and not meditate on it. Meditation is the key. I used to walk, and I still do from time to time. When I was a mailman, I would have verses in my pocket, and I'd have a, a stack of letters in this hand, and on the back a little pinky, I would have a verse that I was meditating on that day. I'm not trying to make myself look gray or grand or anything like that, but God used that to transform my heart and my mind. I wasn't thinking about it all day long when I was walking my route, but there were times that I was thinking about it. And if I'm going through a challenging time, you'll see oftentimes with me with a, a, a passage of Scripture in my pocket, I'll handwrite it because when I'm handwriting it, I'm thinking about it, I'm writing it, I'm seeing it, I'm saying it. And then from time to time, and there's no um, amount of time that I keep it in my pocket, but I'll pull it out and I'll read that thing and I'll think about it. And then usually a couple of weeks or three weeks go by and I throw it away. And let's just move on to the next. I don't feel bad about throwing it away. I'm not saying, God, I don't need to meditate or think about you anymore, but, but it helps me get through. Meditating on God's Word, feeding on His Word, feeding on God's Word, spending time with Him daily. Brian Midget, in a list when he preached the last time, mentioned knowing and continually studying God's Word. Know God's Word and continually study God's Word. It doesn't matter that you're 60 or 70 or 80 years old or that you've walked with the Lord 30 or 40 or 50 years. There is always more to learn about who God is and to understand His Word better. Feeding on God's Word. Yes, listening to God's Word in the car is good while you're driving, but I hope that you're paying attention to the road while you're listening to God's Word. And there are times when our whole focus needs to be God's Word and nothing else, just God's Word. From time to time, read or listen to large portions of Scripture. Not a verse, not a, our daily bread, but a chapter or a book. I've got a Bluetooth speaker that I'll hook up to my phone from time to time. Nothing consistent, but I've got a, a, a Bluetooth speaker that I'll hook up to my phone. And if I'm working downstairs or I'm in a shop or maybe you're in the house... So there's times that I'll listen to two or three books, and I don't listen to them and, and, and not, not pay attention to what I'm doing, but it's just washing my mind, listening to large portions of His Word. Singing Scripture. Singing Scripture is a big deal. We do that here. But can I say this? We have to be careful when we're singing Scripture because the song might lead us to a particular spiritual truth, and the passage of Scripture might have more than just that one spiritual truth. And so sing it, and it's good, and it helps us to meditate on it, but don't let it limit us to what, what it is that that passage has to say. Another how-to is to develop a controlled thought life. 
It's difficult when we live in an amusement world, placing our minds in neutral. We go to our phones and we look at whatever it is that you look at on your phone. And it just seems to take us into this neutral spot. Develop a controlled thought life. It can be difficult when a person is desperate for God because different difficult circumstances can crowd our minds. Brian Midges' list said this, Be disciplined. If you're not intentional and principled and obedient, you're going to be just like the world. And we, we're to be different than the world. We're to be called out. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says this, Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Listen to this. This just blows my mind. Bringing every thought into captivity, into obedience in Christ. That's like, you know what every thought means? It means like every thought. It's every thought in Greek. It's every thought in English. It's every thought in Portuguese. What a vast task. Bringing every thought into captivity to obedience in Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So that means, Jerry, you bring every thought that comes into your mind into obedience in Christ. And when there's something that comes in that's not there, you, Jerry, punish that and bring every thought into obedience to the Lord. A mind that's just focused and stayed on the Lord. And I'd like to suggest that a 15-year-old Mary could go through what she went through with her family, with her fiancé, with her synagogue, with her community, because she had that mind that was just singularly focused. I am the Lord's servant. Here I am. Do whatever it is that you want with me. Do whatever it is that you want from me. Another tool, cultivate a spiritual discipline and obedience and submission to what God shows you in his word. If I'm reading and I'm meditating on and I'm doing devotions, but I'm not doing, I don't think that's a mind or a heart that's stayed on the Lord. I read it. I know it. I feel convicted, but I'm not submitting myself to the Lord. Remember Mary's response? Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Pay attention, another, pay attention to your particular human flesh weaknesses and temptations. Yours are different than mine. Pay attention to your particular human weaknesses and temptations and battle them by learning to deny the flesh. Die to self. Paul said, I die daily. And his temptations and weaknesses were different than Jerry's that are different than yours. But you know what yours are. Pay attention to them and learn to deny the flesh. You want to know how difficult it is to deny the flesh, even without sin in the picture? You just take some habit that you do and tell yourself, I'm not going to do this habit anymore. You just see what kind of a battle you have. That's the flesh. Another, filter life's events through God is supreme. No matter what happens in life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the undesirable, the weird, God is supreme. He's the potter. I'm the clay. What do you have for me, Lord? What am I supposed to be learning in this situation? Two more. Worship at church with an expectation of growing. When you come to church, don't just come because I went to church, 
but come and worship. Don't just go to church. Come and genuinely worship with an expectation of, God, I am here. You're God. You have something for me. Your spirit has control of everything. Have control of my heart and my mind. Open my eyes that I might grow. And then the last one that I have is serve God by serving others. It takes my eyes off of me. It is so easy for us to have our eyes on us and filter all of life's events through the filter of how is this going to affect me. But he's the potter and I'm the clay and he wants me to serve others and in that way I'm serving him as well. Mary's life was one that was devoted to her Lord She was focused, her mind was fixed, it was stayed on honoring God. And we don't find in there that she wavered, ever, anywhere. From 15 years old, she already had that practice, she already had that focus, all the way up until when Jesus died, and they were meeting in the upper room after he had died, and she was right in there with the disciples, praying with them, Thy kingdom come, Lord, thy will be done. Mary's a tremendous example of someone whose mind was fixed on the Lord. Let me finish with this. If keeping your mind fixed on the Lord is a spiritual dynamic that you recognize is significant, because we talked about it, and, it, and, it, and, it's, and it's driven home in your heart, recognize it is significant, critical even, but you also realize, I don't have that. Mary had that. Ezekiel had that. Daniel had that. That's fine. Those are heroes of the scripture, but I don't have that or rarely have that spiritual discipline, let me encourage you to do something. Just humbly pray. God, here I am. This is who I am. Thank you that you've shown me the need that I have and where I am presently and ask the Lord to nurture the spiritual discipline of having a mind that's fixed and focused and stayed on the Lord. And then, if you pray that, Be careful because you're going to have opportunities to have your mind fixed on the Lord. And I've got a feeling that the Lord is going to remind you, you prayed for this. This is the opportunity. What are you going to do with it? It's a test. And and God is gracious and kind, and we can pass those tests. It's a great tool to have in the desperate hours that we can come into. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you. Thank you for examples like Mary and the others that were mentioned who had minds and hearts that were fixed and focused on you. Lord, I pray for myself, I pray for everyone within hearing distance as well, that you would help us to be honest with where we are, cry out to you and ask you to cultivate that necessary spiritual weapon in our hearts and our lives, that you would show us who you are so that we can be appreciative and willing to deny ourselves And then we ask that you would develop and nurture within us the discipline of having a mind that is focused on God, recognizing you are the potter and I am the clay. And anything that you allow in my life can be something that's a tool for your glory, my response and the way I react. Grow that in us, I pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.